This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, Turner Classic Movies host Ben Mankiewicz. On his early days in broadcasting, the legacy of his film family, which includes his uncle Joe Mankiewicz, the Oscar-winning writer-director of All About Eve, starring Betty Davis, and Herman Mankiewicz, his grandfather, who wrote Citizen Kane and won an Oscar. We'll learn how Ben became a host at Turner Classic Movies in the early 2000s, the long gestation of the TCM Classic Film Festival, which returns again this April in Hollywood, and what Ben is looking forward to at this year's TCM Classic Film Festival. You can read the Road to Cinema blog at jogroadproductions.com, follow us on Twitter at jogroad, Facebook, Jog Road Productions, you can like our page, follow us on Instagram at jogroadproductions, Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, to see interviews with such legendary people as Don Cheadle, actor Saul Rubinek from the Clint Eastwood classic Unforgiven, who also shares his experiences working with director Tony Scott on True Romance, and another of our popular interviews with screenwriter and director Max Landis. You can subscribe to the Road to Cinema podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and don't forget to leave us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join Turner Classic Movies host Ben Mankiewicz as we learn how he became a host at the Popular Network. When did you first realize about the film legacy of your family, about your grandfather and your uncle? Was that from an early age? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's from an early age, but I didn't appreciate it until later, like knowing of it and getting it were different. Um, so I grew up in, uh, in DC and my dad was a big time democratic consultant. Um, I mean, more than a consultant. He was, it was Robert Kennedy's press secretary. Uh, he announced Bobby Kennedy's death, which is how many people know him. And this was an era to 1968 when a presidential campaign like, like Senator Kennedy's had five people on it. Right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, there were, there was a press secretary and the campaign manager and an advisor and that was it, you know, <laughs> speechwriter, you know. So, um, uh, so they, they were very close. My father was his press secretary in the Senate uh, first and then on the campaign. And so, and then he ran George McGovern's campaign with Gary Hart in 1972, my dad did. So uh, I grew up in D.C. where my father was uh, a pretty big celebrity for D.C., you know, for... I mean, we would go to the grocery store on a weekly basis. There wasn't a week that went by, and a stranger would stop him and say, thank you. You know, thank you. It worked either. It was, and it was always either Senator Kennedy or Senator McGovern. And, you know, thank you. You know, and you, I was on the campaign. Or, and I always said, I was always stunned that he didn't know them. <laughs> I'd be like, so that, you don't know who that is, do you? You don't know that guy's name. You know, he'd be like, no, no, I don't know that guy's name. Was your father in newspapers a lot? Was he written about? Yeah, in connection with my dad was a famous DC political insider, and 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 during the from nineteen sixty seven until nineteen eighty, and then he was president of National Public Radio. Um, so from nineteen seventy seven to nineteen sixty seven to nineteen eighty three, which were my first sixteen years on Earth, again he was like I'll try you know he was like the equivalent here of like a pretty big star, like in DC, it's a much smaller pool. It's a different thing, but I'm trying to think of who's a good level of star equivalent. <laughs> like, and initially I was going to say he was like, uh, Josh Brolin, 
but he was bigger than Josh Brolin, <laughs> right? So, you know, I mean, he was a little like Gene Hackman. Like, yeah. there were bigger stars, but you're impressed when you meet Gene Hackman, yeah. right? You know, so Gene Hackman is good. Like, my dad was the Gene Hackman of inside of Washington Post. So, and then I knew his father wrote Citizen Kane and that my Uncle Joe, who was still alive, you know, was a, was a big deal out here. But but my dad really got away from that. He, he liked movies, but he didn't. He deliberately got away from that life. And so I came out here to L.A. Uh, after my, I think, junior year of college, and I stayed for two weeks with my cousin John Mankiewicz, who's a writer now on House of Cards. Oh, wow. I'm about to be a writer on Bosch. He's written a zillion TV shows, great, really good TV shows, and a terrific writer. Um, and John, I stayed with John and his wife Katie, and I went to a party and with a friend out here, and I got introduced at the party. I said, this is my friend Ben Mankiewicz. And the host of the party, I don't, even, I don't remember who it was, brought his feet together and bowed and said, Hollywood royalty. <laughs> and I was like, what the? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that was the beginning of a, like, huh, well, this was, apparently this is a slightly bigger deal than I was aware of. Yeah. Uh, and then when I, you know, moved out, and I, I don't want to kid anybody, this, you know, TCM, TCM was attracted to me in part because of that, Name. I mean, I still had to audition and beat out a bunch of people for that job, and, and I was a broadcaster. But but they, I think, liked they liked having that I film liked, history liked, behind you in a they way. Liked the legacy part, yeah, sure. Now, were you ever were you thinking about film journalism at any point in your early career, or were no. you no? But sports and politics—that's really all I cared about. So, how did you kind of segue into the film world in a sense? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, again, like you could say that it was sort of to some extent that, well, first of all, I grew up, though growing up in D.C., always drawn to, loved movies, but I don't, I didn't know a lot about them. I was just a guy who liked going to movies. I liked a certain kind of movie. I didn't like big blockbuster action movies, unlike most of my friends. Like, you know, I remember being dragged, kicking and screaming to see a midnight showing on opening weekend of Die Hard. And thinking this first world is going to be so bad, this is going to be so <laughs> dumb, and you know, recognizing, oh wait, this is this was actually this one was actually awesome, right? Yeah. This one because it had a character, it had a story, it had a thing you liked, yeah. right? You identified with him. He wasn't just a badass, right? He didn't do inhuman things. He was just a regular guy in a difficult situation. It was like it, that movie didn't have to be an action movie; it could have been another kind. Yeah, of movie. it was more of a character study. Totally, he was dealing with his marriage. He was uh, totally very complicated, very nuanced, identifiable yeah. character, just with some action scenes. But even people reacted to the action scenes when a helicopter crashes into buildings. It's an example I use all the time in Die Hard. It's not like, cool, look what we can do. It's, oh my God, the helicopter just crashed. Like, people react to it like, yeah. I've never seen anything like this. This is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen, you know. Um, so, um, uh, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't mean to say I was a movie expert, but it's just be, it would just be a flat out lie. I wasn't. I, was, I, I know a lot about baseball. And I knew a lot about politics, um, and I cared a lot about it. But so, and then I was I became I went to journalism school, went to a journalism school at Columbia, and uh, and was like my brother. I thought I was going to be a TV reporter. You know, I liked the idea yeah. of being on camera. I did, and I I got you know better at it. Still not too good until I took a job in Miami where I could be myself. And then and then that job in Miami opened things up because I got to write that show, and I was writing most of my own material. Um, Which is actually very uncommon, usually. In for, news, uh, and it was also super camera. personality yeah. driven. Like I was writing it, and it was we could call Rudy Giuliani a prick. It was a, owned by Barry Diller, 
the station, and it was a it was a, a new attempt at local television, of which local news was a part, local sports, local everything. Was that called Whammy? That on was my Whammy. That's yes, I, I grew up in South Florida, so I remember when that channel started. Well, I was the news, yeah. news host. I wasn't the first one; I was the second one. Uh, I finished it. I didn't. I started hosting it after about seven. Or my eight dad years. liked the Marlins and the Heat. Yeah, we had on the Marlins too, and the Heat. It was a yeah. whole rebranding of local. But like we did, the, certain things were like the. You know, it looked like a Japanese monster movie. The audio didn't always sync with the video. So we had huge problems at a college TV station for a while. But we did really good stuff. The news program did really well. And I won Best Anchor in Miami two straight years. Nobody watched. But we did really good stuff. And we got to be funny and smart and, you know, and wrong. You know, and it was yeah. okay. Um, so that made me never want to do local news again. Like, I thought, okay, well, I've tasted what, because I don't want to cover another fire or another murder or you know, I had some really unpleasant experiences in Charleston, South Carolina, covering local news. Mm. Great time in my life. Love Charleston. Love the people I worked with. It's just you, you realize this is we're not uh, we're not making life better. We're I think making life worse. Yeah, more more often. sensationalized, exploited I just type stories. I, you know, when you yeah. knock on a door and ask a mother why her how she feels that her thirteen year old son was killed by crossfire. I mean, I, why am I there? Why are we, here's how she feels. Her life is ruined. Yeah, it doesn't totally. add anything. It's not an investigative right. uh, and I got part of it. Yeah. Like, I could talk her into it. And I was sensitive. I was like, look, we got to do the story, and it's better if you say something about it. I just, who wants to be part of that? It's icky, right? Yeah. And I felt gross, and we didn't ever, we never covered politics unless it was, you know, we did in the 96 uh, election. But, I mean, unless it was an election year, presidential election year, we just checked out. Nobody cared. We just covered mm -hmm. stupid stuff. So, even though it was, well, I learned how to be on television, it was still not. Um, and then Miami changed that. We got to cover the, that experience at Whammy. We covered the Elian Gonzalez story mm -hmm. uh, from in South Florida, which was, you know. Yeah, North. I remember when that was happening in South yeah. Florida. It was nonstop coverage. And, yeah. and Diller's <laughs> mantra was have an opinion. And so our opinion, because I thought we were sane people, was, uh, yeah, I got, I got it. It's a terrible trip you made. It's a horrible tragedy. This boy's mother was killed crossing from Cuba to the U.S. And, but his dad's in Cuba and wants him back, and it's his dad. So he probably has to go back to his dad. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't seem complicated to me. You know? It's his dad. He's six. You know? Uh, and so we got spit on by, you know, Cuban-Americans who were, you know, passionate about it. And I get their passion. Yeah. I, but it was fun to cover. And then we got to cover the 2000 election in Florida, which was... Yeah, another Florida. big Florida story. Big Florida, yeah. <laughs> so it was a great time to be there. Nobody watched, but it was fun. Um, and then I came out here because I knew this is where I wanted to live. So even though I, I just had always been drawn to L.A. and I knew that Mankiewicz family had a history there and I became, as I started to get more aware of it, I still I took a class at Tufts, which was many years earlier in the late 90s. I took a, a pass-fail film course. Because uh, I realized my junior year, I had like six pass-fail courses I could take, and I was like, "This is the yeah. greatest thing in the world." Collect some credits. Collect yeah. credits. Don't work hard. This is great. What is it? What? And uh, and I, Tufts didn't have a real film program to speak of. They had a few courses, and I loved it. Yeah, I, I thought, "Well, this is this is cool." When I was good, and I got I got the only. Uh, I literally got the only A plus I've ever gotten in my life at a pass fail film. Was uh, was your uncle alive at that yeah, point? Yeah, he died in '93, so he was alive through through that period. But I did, and I knew him, and he talked to my dad all the time. He had sort of isolated himself, or yeah, I don't know well, what the whole story in was family, in terms of. We said, for Joe, the, the story was inside the family was he had writer's block that sort of, you know, after he wrote, after he directed Cleopatra, clearly. Uh, uh, 
affected his life in a negative way. Yeah. Tremendous a lot of moment. negative press, all the Elizabeth negative Taylor, press, Richard Burton. Negative control of it, being yeah. blamed for wrecking a studio, when that really is not on him. It's not, he didn't let that production get out of hand. I mean, he, they, he was already out of hand when they brought him in, and it stayed yeah. out of hand, and they're the ones who I think he had it. replaced uh, another replaced director. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that... But either way, it was on, you know, he wanted to make two, and who knows, if he'd gotten his wish, which they should, in hindsight, should probably have done, that had turned into two three-hour movies, which is what he wanted, instead of one disjointed four-and-a-half-hour. Yeah, I think from what I remember, it was Anthony and Cleopatra he wanted, and then just a separate yeah. Cleopatra-only story. Well, he wanted, and then, no, he wanted, he wanted Caesar and Cleopatra, oh, Caesar and, Mark, and, Cleopatra, and Mark yeah. Antony, yeah. basically. Um, then he thought that that would be considering everything, whatever. He was probably right. I mean, the director usually is right. He knew how to tell stories. This weren't, again, really his kind of movie. And then he directed, I think, two more movies. One, a Western. There was a Crooked Man, Kirk Douglas. And, I mean, if anybody was not suited for a Western, it was <laughs> Joe Mack. Was, now, Sleuth, then, though, that's he, excellent. Right, but, he didn't yeah. write, but significantly, <laughs> he didn't write Sleuth. Um, so I don't know what he much wrote after, you know, he didn't write Cleopatra, but after the yeah. six, after that period, and he basically didn't work. He was, you know, told he was always working on something, and, you know, getting ready to work. But but he didn't. The last twenty years of his life, he really didn't do anything, and and mm -hmm. except be in his office and, and plan to work, which is a you know again an unfortunate end to a really impressive career. Yeah, now you see that a lot with older filmmakers, older producers, I think even Billy Wilder for the last mm -hmm. few decades of his life. Just, yeah, I think that's right. Billy yeah. Wilder did one movie late, I know, um, with, 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 uh, with William Holden. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know, I, but I was intimidated by Joe. Joe was close to my father, but I was intimidated by him, no question. I remember you know, when we'd go up there, and he would, you know, it just seemed like he was always yelling. It seemed like he was <laughs> directing. He was directing the, pretty much everything. Um, but, uh, um, so I just, after the, the whammy situation in Miami, after the stations got sold, and I just moved out here and started auditioning for shows, any talk shows, anything yeah. that I could do that would be interesting that wasn't local news. Um, and then TCM asked me to audition, and like really, again, circumstances aligning right. The initial job was not just hosting, it was having a conversation. Uh, with a filmmaker or the filmmaker's kid or the editor or somebody involved with a movie. It would be a discussion. So it was more sort of like an interview type program yeah, right. that we were and pitching? Leading into the movie as opposed wow. to just a... And then, so I, and I did really well. And I'm better at that, you know. Um, and I could show my personality and I could be me. Not so much that I have some amazing personality, but I could be myself as opposed to just reading an intro. And... So I auditioned and I knew I'd done well. Like I, because I, I know I've done well because I did, I, I did 127 auditions and huh. I did not do well. What was the uh, the TCM audition like? What, what was that? They Were you like in a seven, camera or? But like eight people, and you'd bring and like you'd interview one of the other. It was it was our assignment was to compare the, the Seven Samurai, the Magnificent Seven, <laughs> and you know, just talk about it. You know, yeah, just whatever. You just just and. And so we'd sit with another host auditioning, and either I'd interview them or they'd interview me. And then, and I started being called in to do it with everybody. 
Huh. Like they'd be like, okay, Ben, you stay here. Now you do it with Cliff. And now, okay, Cliff's gone. Now, Suzanne, you come in and you do it with Ben. And I was like, wow, they're using me in all of these. Like I'm helping this process. <laughs> and then I made it to another round of, of auditions. And by then it was down to like five people. And they had done away with that idea because it's too hard to book. Literally, they, every weekend bring in. Yeah. It was just too hard. And they were always playing the film out of Atlanta, not out of L.A. Yeah, everything's out of Atlanta. We yeah. shoot out of Atlanta. So it's just too hard to get people to Atlanta and do it that. So they were like, you know what? We'll just do the thing that Robert does. Uh, <laughs> so, and by, and then, so I got the job. I beat out these other guys. But, but I don't know that I would even have made the second round if they hadn't had that first idea. Yeah. So that's just luck, you know. Um, well, at this point in Turner Classic Movies history, I guess, so what was it, about 10 years in, and Robert Osborne was pretty much just the primary host at that point? I started in 2003, nine years in, yeah, Robert yeah. was the only host, uh, other than The Essentials, which it had, uh, by that point, I think uh, Rob Reiner and Sidney Pollack had done it. Um, I may be forgetting something, but I think just, I think those two, for sure. But that was it, but they, that was like one movie a week. And only yeah, it was like a weeks. Saturday night, I remember. So was, I think it started on Sunday night and moved to Saturday yeah. night. But those guys would come in, and they'd shoot all their stuff in a day or two. They'd just do them all in, in one a year's worth in a day. Uh, but Robert was the only host. They want, They realized they did some research that showed them that a lot of people watched on weekends, that they weren't just, it wasn't just a primetime crowd, that on Saturdays and Sundays yeah, people were watching, watching movies, and they wanted it hosted, and they wanted another host. And, uh, uh, and I got it. And people hated me. That's how it started. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was like the early point of the internet. So how did you know sort of what the reactions were? I mean, uh, There was a there... message board, TCM message boards. Uh. <laughs> and I read, I read it pretty consistently. Uh, now, you know, it, wasn't, it was mostly the same people. Like there were, I'm going to guess, I don't want to say that it, the people who hated me were limited to these 15 or 20 people, but, but it was really the same week after week, the same conversations among the same people about this is brutal. He's awful. Nepotism got the job. His family bought him. Some, some smarter, like, hey, I just don't like him. He's got an attitude, and he doesn't have the respect and reverence for the movies that Robert does. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Other people, uh, nepotism. Fan. I love the, the family. I mean, I don't know how much money they think screenwriters made in the 1950s. And, you know, and I'd grown up in D.C. with a father who worked in politics. We Nobody's buying any, and also my name's not yeah. Ben Spielberg for crying out loud. It's Ben Magnus. Yeah. No, the family power had dissipated by the 21st century <laughs> in Hollywood, if there ever was any. So, um, uh, but you know, I, I, I didn't love that. That took me a little, but I eventually I stopped reading it. Eventually, I got used to it, and, and I realized hey, there's like 15 people who post here who don't like me. And then you know, like two yeah. years later, they were like. All right, <laughs> he's okay. And then after a few years, they—I think there's a fear of there was a fear of change that they thought I represented that yeah. this thing that was so important and this channel that meant so much that I was somehow going to be different. I'm not here. I am. I'm not wearing a suit. I got a goatee. My first couple of shoots, they had me look. They they shot me off camera so that I'm looking at this camera, but the camera that the take they're using is off. Uh, so you know they're like he's not even looking at us. You know it was a. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, they were just trying to be bold. They did away with that person. Was it, uh, was there really like a, like a core fan base at that point? Oh People yeah. Could really see? yeah. A very, yeah, there was a core fan base and they were really pretty active. At least the younger ones were on the message boards. Um, you know, and I could tell, I just, when I did events, I, you know, I, there was just, you know, some people would come up to me and they'd thank, and I, and I mean, I'd literally see people like looking at me, like, you know, after the event and be like, uh -huh. 
this kid. You know. Wow. <laughs> People are so brutal. They're like, they're brutal. Yeah. They're brutal. They're on there. And, and then again, it went away. I mean, like I, TCM, God bless, they hung in there. I mean, first of all, I think I did fine. They didn't ask me to do that much the first five years. I really just hosted on weekends. Um, uh, and then you know, I did. They gave me some interviews. I did well. That's where yeah. I think my strength is in those uh, conversations. I'm better. And uh, and they grew, and, and then you know, eventually people accept you into their group, and they did. And you know, I mean, I think a lot of the people who like me now probably don't want to admit yeah. how much they. <laughs> how much they yeah, no, I mean, when I started watching uh, Turner Classic Movies, I think it was probably around the time that you started appearing on it. So yeah, to okay. me, like you were just part of Turner oh, okay. Classic Movies. I didn't, you know, right. you weren't like a new addition. Right, you didn't know so. enough to hate me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, I was curious too. I mean, did you ever develop a, a friendship with Robert Osborne? I mean, I know that you filmed the segment separately. I developed a, 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 a uh, I hope mutual respect. Obviously, I uh, you know admire Robert tremendously. You cannot. But the reason that we don't have it would be a lie to say we have a friendship is that we almost never saw each other um, because we couldn't shoot at the same time. Like literally, was he ever part of the process of? of choosing you for no, hosting? No, he was not no? part of the process ah. to choose me. They didn't, uh, um, and, uh, you know, but I, I think he, when he signed off, you know, I mean, he definitely, yeah. he wielded great power and I think he could have said no, but, uh, um, um, but we literally never were in the same place at the same time, except until the TCM film festival started. There used to be the first couple of years, there was a TCM retreat, but I was like, it was my first couple of years there. And I, I mean, I, I was exceptionally nervous, around him mm. you know i was afraid he would ask me about a movie i didn't know and then he'd ask me about a movie i didn't know and i was tongue i, I was i was like a kid around <laughs> around this legend um uh so w w we finally started connecting at uh uh at the you know at the festivals a little but again we're both working we can't we're no there's no events where we both go to ever it's you do host this you do this you're and we had, and what's weird is that we had this, these parallel lives, you know, where he, at least the TCM part of it, because he's same director, same producer, same uh, wardrobe stylist, same makeup artist, mm. same hair, same person who books travel, everything, <laughs> except we would never be in Atlanta at the same time. But I got to tell you, I've worked in TV a long time, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a crew more loyal to a person than that crew in Atlanta was to Robert Osborne. Wow. They they. They love that guy. Yeah, I mean, he was there. I mean, Ted Turner, I think, sort of plucked him at the very beginning right, to be yeah. part of the network. And he had a choice to make. He had an offer from somewhere else, I guess maybe AMC um, or some other channel that was about to try to launch a, um, and they were already on the air. Like he was going to be hired by somebody else to be their classic news, their classic movie host. And TCM wanted to hire him, but we were still six to eight months from yeah. launching. And Debbie Reynolds uh, played a very significant role. Oh, said, I wasn't aware of that. Said no. this this network these these they have the right movies. They're going to do it right. Wait, go with these guys. And that was one of the people whose advice he solicited, and and she was instrumental in, in getting him to to take the TCM job. Do you feel like that you've sort of accumulated even more film knowledge over the oh. years, or you've sort of forced yourself to study more, or yeah, both. what was yeah, I mean, yeah. just eventually? I mean, a studying. Significantly, uh, and then just yeah, osmosis. You just you just pick it up, um, you know. And if you care about it, obviously, you know, you, it's easier to 
pick up information about something that you uh, that you care about. But yeah, I mean, I had a lot of catching up to do, and I did. It took a you know, and uh, I mean, I was already into it by the time they hired me. It was no longer you know, by the, I mean, I was thirty seven, so I was, I I I'd come to appreciate my family's role. I had classic movies that I loved. I watched the channel, um, but still, you you know. And then, you know, and you're comparing, you know, you can't help on day one, you're comparing yourself to Robert Osborne. And he is, he's encyclopedic. You know, he is, he's exactly <laughs> what you think he is. Everything you think about Robert Osborne is 100% true. You know, big, robust, kind, thoughtful, doesn't suffer fools. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, and, uh, uh, and just his recall is, instant, yeah. is instantaneous and impressive. Um, you know, and I, and then in 2008, I got the job at doing At The Movies, replacing Ebert. Was that you and Ben Lyons? Me and Ben Lyons. Yeah. So, you know, man, you're, you have stepping into the shoes of Robert Osborne and Roger <laughs> Ebert. I'm like, what, what kind of an asshole am I? <laughs> like, you know, uh, so you realize, hey, you know what? You can't do it. You can't, you, you can't, you're not, you're not as smart or as good on TV as Roger Ebert. You're not as smart or as good on TV as Robert Osborne. You're as smart and as good on TV as you can be. Uh, and like the only person I can be is myself. And that sounds like a cliche, but that actually took a while to figure that out. Like, stop trying to be a guy on TV. Stop trying to sound like Roger Ebert because you can't. You'll fail. You know, he's a singular, he, he has a singular style and a, a singular ability to communicate this thing that he's passionate about and knows more about than everybody else. And yeah. I think the same thing's true of Robert. So you just have to find your own way. But it's a weird thing being on TV with the cameras and figuring out how to how to do that and be somebody who people will like and still keep some connection to who you are. How do you get past that in a way? I mean, are you almost like practicing on your off time? Are you trying to sort of get like, how do you get comfortable, I guess, is the question. Well, you, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, yes, eventually you get comfortable. Or if that's time. ever possible, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you just yeah. do it. It's still an artificial environment. I mean, I'm myself, and I'm, uh, I tell stories for TCM the way I think I tell stories in life, the way I'm telling them to you now. I'm just, I break eye contact all the time, and I do it. I just did it now. And, that's <laughs> and that that is something that I, like, initially, I, you're like, don't ever stop never look away from the camera, just keep looking at the camera, you have to look at the camera, because if you look away, then that suggests, I don't know what weakness there's on. So it took a while to sort of find, even though I'd been a broadcaster, I mean, when I hired in 2003, I'd been on the air since 1993, uh, you know, basically every day in news, you're on the air, yeah. and then I'm hosting for two years, I was an anchor in Charleston, and then hosting that show in Miami. So um, you, uh, you know, you, uh, but still, it's different. It's just this really weird, sterile environment of standing in a, and actors know this, and I, my appreciation for actors, for the auditioning process to everything, just, it skyrocketed when I got this job, because it's, it's just weird. And like, yeah. you know, I say something funny, and nobody laughs, right? It's just <laughs> this hollow, weird environment, and the lights are, they're so bright, and, and then it's, be now, be natural. Yeah, here's an artificial set, artificial lights, I no audience. I don't live yeah. here. There's no audience. I'm not <laughs> communicating with anyone. I'm reading, a, I'm reading words on a screen, and 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 I have to make it seem like it's you know, 
Almost like talking. you're speaking to the people at home. And yeah, like, hey, you know what? Super cool them. story about Casablanca. Let me tell you. You know, that, that's why you, that's theoretically the tone you want it to be. So there are little tricks, like uh, you mess up on purpose. I don't mean like stumble, because if I stumble, we'll start over. But just change a word on purpose. Yeah. Like your little thing. String a couple sentences together. Take out an and. Pause. Just, and then you realize, okay, now I'm telling it. I'm not reading it. You know, you trick your brain into not reading, or at least not seeming like you're reading. Because, yeah. Because you don't, nobody wants to be read to. They do want a story told to them. Did uh, Did you find it really important to watch some of the movies? Like if they give you a list, you're doing six, these six yeah, movies so, today. I'm going to well, study up. First of all, you don't do six movies a day. You do now. Sometimes uh, the last one of the days we did 35 movies in a day, Whoa. which means 35, which means 70. And it's not just one take for each. No, it's not one, one take. Yeah. I mean, some of them you get one take. But so I probably did 125 takes that wow. day, you know, of and 70, 35 different movies, so 35 ins and 35 outs. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I've seen almost everything. There's definitely still some foreign stuff that I, that I haven't seen. But it doesn't matter because I don't remember everything. Like, so, I mean, there's a good chance I've seen the movie I'm talking about, but ask me to tell you what happens in it. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> I, I saw it. I saw it three years ago. And when I had a year where I saw 685 classic movies in a year, and I don't, and, and, and so I freak. So when it, the, but what that's taught me is that anytime I have to do an interview about a movie, like, or, or interview, you know, uh, anytime I, if I have Eva Marie Saint, and we're going to talk about all fall down, the John Frank and I movie with, with Warren Beatty, mm. I gotta watch it again. Like I have to, I have to yeah. watch it, and then I can talk about it. And then two months later, I'll be like, "Oh, fall down, Beatty, and he, <laughs> he's got a brother. And something happens to the thing. Somebody dies, right? But I won't, yeah. <laughs> I won't, I will not remember. Um, but that's okay. So that's yeah. that's that's. But I mean, that's what what's important when you're having that conversation with talent um, or somebody involved I, I, in making know, a movie. I know it then, man. Do I know it then? Yeah. And I know there are other movies then, and I, you know, I watch a lot. And I, I know it for that period of time. Now, when they, uh, when the team at TCM said they're going to start a film festival, I think this was probably 2010 was the first mm -hmm. year. Uh, I mean, did you think like this is going to be a huge event that's going to be extremely successful? From almost within a couple of years of TCM signing on the air before I got there, they talked about a festival. Um, but one of the reasons TCM looks so great on the air is because they don't rush into anything, right? You know, they're very careful and very deliberate. And it just took... 15 years for them to figure out that this is something they wanted to do and how would we do it? Who do we partner with to help put this on? Um, so we know there's this really rabid, passionate fan base. Passion is a better word than rabid because there's, there's, but, but I mean, they're, they're, this, this matters to them. These movies matter. The channel matters to them. It forms this really vital connection in their lives um, to their past to their folks, to their parents, to a time that makes them feel a certain way. And I don't know that there's another channel on TV that does that as great as television is now. It's never been better, right? But I don't think any other channel does that. So we imagine that we could, how would it not work to bring some, you know, a couple thousand of these people together? Yeah. Maybe I think that's the cruise that gets a couple thousand, four thousand of these people, five thousand at the festival. I don't know what the numbers are, I forget. Um, well, I think now with the internet, too, the internet developed from in that 15-year period to a mm -hmm. point where the community could connect with each yeah, other. I mean, yeah, I mean, that TCM party and, and, on, and on 
the ability, like just connections on right, connecting on Twitter, connecting on Facebook. That has been that has been vital. But just bringing these people together because some of these people are older and are not on the internet, are not savvy, are not a lot. So yeah, you know, um, and you you bring them together and put them in these great movie houses and show these classic movies and, and forget the experience of seeing the movies on the big screen as they were meant to be seen because we don't want to. You know, we think they're meant to be seen in your living room on a TV. We think that's a fine way for them to be seen. But, you know, but there is something, obviously, to having an event and, and, and connecting with other people. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, I think it thrilled people the, to see Robert and to a lesser extent me. And now I think, thankfully, they, they're, they're, have, they're, they're excited to see me, too. And I'm grateful for that. But, you know, Ernest Ford Nine, Mickey Rooney, you know, Debbie Reynolds. We had these yeah. great a chance to see these great stars. Faye Dunaway last year, which was I was, incredible. I was talking about the ones yeah. who were no longer around. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did a two-and-a-half-hour conversation with Faye yeah. Dunaway last year. Yeah. Um, I come out and see these, you know, Warren Beatty and, and these amazing, amazing stars. But I think the more important part of the festival is the connections that people are making with each other. Is Because, you know, sometimes, I mean, there are people in jobs, not your job, right, but across the country who they're the Oh, that's, you know, that's Scott. Scott's the weird guy who likes the little <laughs> black and white movies. And, you know, whatever. That's not exactly, you know, it's like Scott's going home and crying about that. But then to come out of here and the, think, oh, there's 4,000 people here who love these movies. Yeah. And, you know, my imagination is you go and you, you know, and, 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 and you see my favorite wife in a theater with a bunch of other people, and then you go out and you have a hamburger and a cheeseburger and a milkshake and a drink, or you know, you go to Nate now. I mean, you go to a Musso and Frank, and you have yeah. a, you have a cocktail and you talk about what you just saw and what that experience was like, and you're making friends. And I, I just think that in a disconnected world, I don't want to be too soapy about it. I, I think it it's meaningful, and you, I, but I know it because we talk to the people at the festival. It does. It means yeah. something. To see so many of the films that you're so used to seeing on television, maybe you saw for television on the first time, and then to see it within a community right. environment on a big yeah, screen. Yeah. I remember, I saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for the first time ever in a theater at the last festival, and I'd seen it on TV a dozen times. That was but, with, uh, and, and that was with me and Danny. Oh, and yeah, and Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Yeah, that yeah. was a great conversation. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd, he said like six things, but they were yeah, all good. I think he's usually... Uh, <coughs> Pretty quiet. He's pretty quiet. Yeah. DeVito was like, thank God Danny DeVito kept that. But I mean, it was great. That was a great, great, great experience. And, yeah. and, and to see people like cheer when, you know, Jack Nicholson appears in the screen or the water fountain gets thrown through the window and the Indian runs out. I'd been, uh, you know, I'd seen one flow of the cuckoo, I don't know, twice, right? Yeah. Maybe once only, you know, I don't know. I don't know when. I mean, obviously I'd seen it. And so I, but like I rewatch it. Again, two couple days before, and I'm like, because we, we learned late that Dan DeVito and Christopher Lloyd were coming. Uh, I was just going to do an intro to it. That was it, just a five-minute intro to it. And then I learned DeVito and Lloyd are going to come. You know, we have always these moments of maybe news. <laughs> um, and, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he never does press for anything. I don't think he definitely, you know, but very this, rarely. He never does a little different. Like again, word of mouth has contributed. Like in the first couple of years of the festival, no, he's probably not going to. But I bet at some point, I don't know if he's friends with Dustin Hoffman, but Dustin Hoffman probably said, "Hey, you know, it's pretty great, actually." Yeah, you know, that's uh, true, right? You know that uh, opens so, the door. Right, it opens the door, and Devito and Lloyd, they'd be like, "Yeah, you should do it. It's great. It's, it's no problem. You just come. You talk in front of these uh, thousand adoring fans. <laughs> and you talk for thirty minutes about your movie. You know, 
Uh, but that was one of those conversations where I was like, I'm getting the rap, and I know that they're not going to get things at time, and they got to get other people into the theater, and these people yeah. got another movie to go to. But you're like, these people don't want this conversation to happen. Like, it's, I got it. I'm going to take 10 more minutes because Danny <laughs> DeVito's talking about but that movie so I see it again and I'm like okay this is one of the 10 best movies I've ever seen like I don't know I gotta yeah. rearrange my thought and list this is this is too great and then two days later I can't sit through these movies because I always have some place to go and I was there again for the last 25 minutes in the theater mm. and I'm like don't get doesn't get better this, this is as good this is as good as movies get yeah, I think also, too, having that concentration when you're in a theater is so much different than watching something on yeah, TV. Yeah, totally. And Nothing I, can break your attention. When yeah, and, and now we keep yeah. talking about the internet. When I'm watching these movies to, to get ready for anything regarding TCM, you know, I do. I get I get distracted, you know, and, I, you know, and I'm checking my Twitter feed or I'm sending an email, and it, it does. It disrupts it. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we're... You know, I uh, try to arrange my or move into a new house, and I want to make sure that my office in the new house that I can make it incredibly dark. That I can at least <laughs> try to create a situation where, like, yeah. hey, for for ninety five minutes, hundred minutes, I'm I'm going to try and stay focused on this screen. Uh, but you know, whatever. I have a four year old, and she's never not yeah. going to be like <laughs> she gets to come in when she wants. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, I was curious about you know how did you develop you know, sort of your comfortability with talent, you know, interviewing people, was that something that sort of developed over the years or even like through doing the festival? I was really nervous developed? in the beginning. I still get yeah. nervous. I mean, there's, and there's some people who make me more nervous than others. Uh, Sophia Loren, Max von Sydow, maybe, maybe it's the fact that they're not American that makes me more nervous. I, yeah. I think that with Sophia Loren, you know, whatever the top tier list of movie stars are, she's on it, yeah. right? There's An icon, yeah. Right, so she's <laughs> a legitimate icon, there's not. So, and just felt like you were interviewing the queen, you know, like, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, Monsi does in one of my favorite movies, Three Days in the Condor, and, and he was great, you know, and, and I'm scared, like, you know, in a four or whatever, I can't remember, if, I can't even remember if it was a 20 minute conversation if we did an hour, I think we did an hour. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't know Bergman well enough. I'm going to get exposed that he's going to look at me like I'm just this dumb American on TV. <laughs> you know, and look at this stupid, foolish culture that just allows morons to go on TV and spout their... And, of course, he was funny and charming and lovely and kind and yeah. sweet. And, you know, <laughs> and it was great. It was lovely, you know. and. Um, but I prepare, uh, I overcome some degree of anxiety by uh, preparation. Like I, I, I just, I read and I read and I watch and I watch and I take way more notes than I need to take or that I can possibly even refer back to. Yeah. Uh, but it gives me the confidence then to be myself and it gives me the confidence to needle them a little if I feel like they're needleable. Some people aren't. Yeah, I remember uh, it might have been the Norman Lloyd or the Faye Dunaway taping that I was at for the for mm -hmm. the network. You had this stack of note cards, like a yeah. tower of note cards. Yeah, well, that so I mean. so <laughs> I think so. I think what you saw there was probably questions that that I and the producer had worked out. Given. Yeah. But once the conversation starts, I didn't. I don't even look at it. But to have that foundation of research, Just to know that it's that, there if you if you need it, it, it yeah. does. Uh, it does help. I had it for both Faye and for uh, for Norman. Norman is a friend, so you know you could always fall back on a on a 
you know, I didn't know Faye before, but Norman is a friend. Mm -hmm. There's things I could fall back on, you know, where he'd be like, let's go. Are you ready, Ben? You know, let's, <laughs> Benjamin, let's go. Quick up, quick up. You know, you know he'd play along. Um, so you just, you you have to be, if I'm not prepared, I can't be funny. And because I'll be afraid to fail. So yeah. if you're prepared, then you, you know, and then, and, and being funny means I can, you know, I can make fun of myself, expose my own weaknesses. Um, and that's just, again, that's being myself. And that worked out well. And, and you know, I, I, I you know, for uh, Eve Marie Saint always makes fun of what I'm wearing because I guess maybe I interviewed her in jeans the first time. I don't think I did. I think she just saw me on the air in jeans. She says I interviewed her on jeans and jeans. I, I really don't think I would ever have done <laughs> um, So I, uh, um, I came, I wore a pair of uh, jeans to interview her and then I had suit pants on underneath. Uh, <laughs> so I just stood up and I took my pants off. And she was like, oh my God, man. And then I wore the suit underneath. It was like for her, that's a big hit. It was in front of a huge crowd and they loved it. Yeah. So it was that, I could never have done that unless I had watched the crap out of those movies and read and knew every possible direction. You never know everything. Yeah. You, whether I was really to make you prepared to make those turns totally. if you have to. And then frequently yeah. I don't get to have 78% of the things that I'm eager to ask them about, but but being prepared has saved me. Yeah. And it has saved me a couple times where, you know, you, you think you're in the middle of a good conversation and somebody gives you three straight one-word answers. And you're like, oh, okay, well, all right. So I mean, suddenly <laughs> this isn't working. So, uh, but, you know, little things like, uh, you know, uh, here's the best questions by far. Uh, why? Uh, I didn't know that. And... Huh. Like if you just somebody's talking and then you finish and you go really, they'll just keep talking like <laughs> about the thing you want them to talk about. Like you go yeah. really and they'll repeat it a different way or in an interesting way. How come? Like you don't need to. In the beginning, I wanted to show the audience and the person that I was smart. Like look what I know, and so they I'd ask a long question that involved all the research I did or how much I knew about the director, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think it's tough because sometimes you want to show that you did your research, but then again, you want the other person to shine more. So it's about kind of having that balance in a way. Yeah. But there really is no balance. Just let them shine. Yeah. Like you do the research. It'll come up. It'll come across if you, because you know, when you're seeing someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. So it will come across. You just have to trust yourself. You trust you yourself. Did it. Don't be let them be. I yeah. did it. Let it be. And it'll come up. She'll go. She'll. They'll need it. They'll be like, oh, I can't remember who directed that. And when you, when even Marie Saint forgets uh, who directed All Fall Down, and if you're not talking about it, and you're able to say in that instant, that's Franken. Yeah. You know, and then you know, and then she's like, oh, God, thank God I'm with you. She'll say, I get all the time. She's like, oh my God, you know everything. It's like an encyclopedia, and I'm not. But I'm like, oh, look what research, did. look what, look what preparation, what moment was created here yeah. by preparation. So that's the, to me, that's the key. Well, it was great uh, with the Faye Dunaway interview that you did last oh, year. I'm glad to hear you say that that went okay. Well, because, you know, Faye Dunaway is notorious for not doing press and mm -hmm. being a little bit standoffish, but she seemed so comfortable and she was so happy to be there and to embrace the crowd and she had people take pictures of her afterwards and I was just so surprised that she was that well, comfortable and we you seemed to really her, embrace her in that way. It, it, it worked. It, was yeah. not the, it wasn't always the easiest process of getting there, but some of that was probably in my head just based on that reputation. So I was a little more 
nervous about her. And no, I thought you were excellent. I mean, she seemed so relaxed. She was. I, and, and the great thing is, is that, and it happened with Anne Margaret, too, who, you know, everybody loves Anne Margaret, but she, you know, she comes in with very set rules. She wanted to see, Anne Margaret wanted to see the questions ahead of time. She, because she's afraid somebody's going to ambush her with questions about like her. a gotcha type. Right. Uh, and they don't, she, she's, yeah. she is so kind and so thoughtful and so respectful of this person who she cared about and his legacy that she's just not going to, she's not going to get caught up in that. She doesn't, you know, so her rule, even though, you know, I'm not the same as somebody from E, TCM is not the same as somebody from E. Yeah. Or she's to earn the right to be careful. Yeah. And so, you know, you can't ask her about Elvis, so you make that, you know, you're like, okay, great, even though I, I, I wouldn't ask anything prurient, right? And uh, and she, um, and then she got in front of them, I interviewed her first at the Roosevelt Hotel in the lobby, and it was good. She was great, because she's Anne Margaret, she was honest, and but I could barely hear her. She was very soft-spoken, and the acoustics in that environment made it tough for me to hear, which makes it tough to follow up, which makes it tough to ask the right question. Well, we get through it. It's good. It's going to make air. It's going to go on the air. It's, and then we went across the street to do like 20 minutes before the Cincinnati kit. And she walked out on the stage and the place is packed. And then any, or you could just see, like literally you could watch defenses just fly off her based on the reaction of the crowd. And I think that happened to Faye too, yeah. um, where they were like, okay, uh, this is a, you know, again, this is a safe place. These people, no one's going to. Um, and I then asked her, I didn't even realize I was asking her a question about Elvis. Actually, you know what? That was at a different festival. That was at the San Luis Obispo Film Festival. Huh. And I asked her a question about Elvis just because the conversation was going so well. Yeah. But the question was like, you know, did Elvis really jump off the thing or is that, a, you know, did you really shove him or was that, I can't remember it again. I can't even remember what movie. It was just a natural but, kind of, yeah, uh, I, you know. And she answers yes, and 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 then you know, and, and I was like, was it tough working with somebody who you cared about? You know, was it, or that just that make things easier? And then she just stops and she looks at me and she smiles. I was like, oh wait, shit! Like, I'm going, <laughs> right? and she was she was like, no, it's okay. You know, I, just, yeah. like, I don't like to talk about it. You know, and, and I, I totally understand. I just we were, and she was like, no, you're good. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, so and then you know, a little thing with uh, again, you build enough credibility like uh, before the. And, the, and I mean, credibility, and I'm handed 80% of this credibility just by the virtue of being it, being TCM, right? So then I can sabotage that or I can add to it and I try to add to it. But I was Shelley Fabre before the SAG Awards, who also was with, was a Elvis, uh, you know, was in love with Elvis for a yeah. time. And I think she was in more Elvis movies than any other leading lady. I think she was in three. Um, and so we're talking about stars and this, and I and I am just in the middle of it, and I'd forgotten that you don't. She doesn't like. She's same same rule. They're both great. They do not want to disrespect this person's legacy, right? Yeah. And it's so nice, right? And I and I say, hey, cause she mentions Elvis, just the thing. I go, hey, can I ask a question about Elvis? And she stops and she goes, sure, go ahead. And I asked him about, and I and then I asked her only what I wanted to ask, which was about him as a performer, like how good an actor would that guy have been. If he devoted himself to acting, if it wasn't for Colonel Parker, if it wasn't for this, you know, if it wasn't for protecting this image of Elvis, because he was a great performer. The camera 
Yeah, he could know. have been like a Marlon Brando. Totally. and that's what and after. She was, yeah. and, and to her, it was like a relief. Like she was like, she let me ask a question. And then when I asked a question that she didn't want to talk about, she was like, yes. Oh my God, <laughs> it would have been fantastic. Nobody knows how great he could have been. She's like, you know, and, but the people around him, they didn't, they weren't. Yeah, they weren't gonna let him. They weren't gonna let him do that. There was just one kind of movie they wanted to make. But man, if he'd taken on dramatic roles, she was like, he would have, he would have crushed it, and he would have been a, he would have been every bit the star he was on stage, uh, yeah. on screen, every bit the actor uh, on screen. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's interesting with actors because uh, you know, I think initially before you sort of learn the nuances of how the business works, you think, well, you know actors are just being difficult when they don't want to answer certain questions or they don't want to engage in certain things. But really actors are the only component in the entertainment business where they're selling their selves, their, right. their whole body, their whole image. So they have to be protective of themselves in a way. They do. And when, and that came, comes back to me in the auditioning process and, and auditioning to host game shows, talk shows. I, I love game shows. And I, would, I would, would love and still like to be a game show host. I still think that's... Yeah. Now, Alec Baldwin is uh, yeah, doing a game show. Yeah, that's my favorite game show. Match game, great game show ever. He does a great job. Um, he did. And it, that show's been has attempted to be recreated now three times, and the first two failed. I think this was pretty good. Yeah. Um, but that's the greatest, that the Eugene Rayburn game, match game from, you know, 71 through 75 or 76. It doesn't get better than that. Um, but... Uh, um, so I go to these auditions, and you you know you're in this you're literally in a room like this, you know maybe a little bigger. It's just you know a door and and four white walls. And sometimes they got cue cards up if they want you to have some big long game explanation. And these games are always too complicated. You know now we're gonna do it. the first round. We're gonna ask you six questions. If you get four right, you get two bonus questions. You only get three right, you get one bonus question, and then it's worth twenty points. But if you get the two, they're worth twenty and fifty points. Like you need 90 points to move on around, you know, and you're supposed to read all this before, you know, and, and you're not really looking into the, I can't yeah. memorize it because maybe I could, but you wouldn't get it exactly right. And it's, so the can't, but so I'm looking at you now, but the cue card is there. So you're not, you know, your, your eyes are darting back and forth yeah. the way, you know, that new Trump spokesman, Stephen Miller's are, <laughs> when he's like, you know, he's clearly looking at something off camera and remind him of what hateful thing he's supposed to say. And, um, um, and and then you don't get it, you know you leave and you're like yeah. never hearing from these people again and, and and essentially what they're saying is they're like not only did you not do well we're rejecting you this whole Eunice we don't care for yeah. our <laughs> thing and that's what it's like for actors regularly yeah. again and again and again so even established actors put themselves yeah. out there and and they get rejected for being themselves look if they hire a if I don't get a job because they hire a a 19 year old six foot ten black transgendered person well great i feel better like okay this, this is probably not the role for a five foot nine jewy guy right you know but good that's fine but usually and you lose doubt to somebody you're like oh look at that guy he's a five ten and 46 years old and wearing glasses nope they just like that better than me right you know i uh um that's a shame um and that happens most of the time you know, uh, so uh, I, actors put themselves out there. So yeah, if they have some rules that maintain a degree of privacy, and they don't know who's gonna, they don't know what kind of person is gonna uh, talk to them, what the questions are gonna be. I totally, you know, you know, Billy Bob Thornton was just on. He's gonna be probably not supposed to release that, but whatever. He's gonna be a guest programmer coming up later, and we've already shot it. Um, 
And he just picked a bunch of movies that he cared about. And he kept saying during that interview, he was great. I'm really interested in talking about craft, like Faye Dunaway. He wanted to talk about actors, and we did uh, yeah. Man with the Golden Arm, Frank Sinatra, we did Giant. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the two other movies were, but it doesn't matter because he, and what he kept saying, we'd stop, you know, we'd take a break, we'd finish a movie, and before going, this is so great. He goes, because you're not asking me stupid stuff about, you know, uh, my ex-wife's divorce or, you know, some relationship or just nonsense. I don't have to talk about me. I don't have to talk about this. I'm just talking about movies. And that's what I want to do. I want to talk about movies. Uh, and he was fantastic. He was a great, great, great. Yeah. That's one of the real pleasures I've had is now talking movies. With yeah, he's so articulate about process and what inspires him. And yeah, uh, people forget that uh, Sling Blade, I mean, he did that like as like a one-act play oh, on a stage yeah, and right. directed it, wrote the script. Yeah, he's got a whole, you know, and he's so, a really talented musician. He was a musician first. It's not like he became an actor and thought, ah, I'm going to show you that I can play some rock and roll, some, some yeah. blues rock and roll. Uh, no, he was, he's a really talented artist. And uh, in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, he's he's got an Oscar for a screenplay, right? You know, for some way. So yeah. he, this is a this is a really capable guy who wants to talk about art. Does not want to talk about, you know, you know why Jennifer Lawrence and Taylor Swift are fighting. You know, that's not. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know if that's true. I made that up, but they, you know, yeah. that is not what interests this guy in any way, shape. Yeah, well, that's what's great about the festival because it is so rare that people want to talk to them about craft, about yeah, you know, their performances, their films from so many years ago that it uh, it gives them a venue to be appreciated in a sense to be part of history. To me, like the way Billy Bob Thornton was talking about Sinatra, like I was thinking, here's a musician who's an actor talking about a musician who was an actor, like and and a guy who then really, you know, famously didn't want to do a second take. Like, and I was really interested in what was going on there because we've seen Sinatra be pretty good, right? He's got an Oscar from, from here to return. He's good, and he's good in The Man with Golden Arm. He's good in other things. Yeah, Manchurian I, Candidate, right, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I get the feeling he could have been better. And I get the feeling that notion of, no, we got it in that take was, I don't know, was Sinatra's fear of more takes and him not being able to get to another place the way some way Brando would think, no, no, after 12 takes, I'll get somewhere else. I'll get yeah. something better. And I, you know, I'm just guessing Sinatra thought I'm never going to get there. So I'm going to pretend that that's, I'm going to act like that's stupid. Yeah. And that, and that, you know, saying, Hey man, the first take is the purest, it's the best, it's the most authentic was yeah. fear. Uh, but you know, so that's interesting. It might possibly be too, like almost he wanted to protect himself, like totally. not it's give a director so many options to play with in the editing room. Maybe like, hundred reasons, is. but yeah. it, well, uh, whatever it is, it's interesting to me because he yeah. was not without talent on screen at all. Um, and so, like the idea that of talking to Billy Bob Thornton about, I now know, now I want to get him again, and I want to talk to him about Elvis. I want to be like, let's talk about Elvis. What could Elvis? You know. Yeah. Um, about what these sort of people good at other things, because I think like it doesn't surprise me when a when a when a uh, when a rock star when a musician can be a good actor because they are especially the those that are theatrical on stage. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Bruce Springsteen, especially now reading his autobiography and listening to him talk about it, when you either hear him on a podcast or or get the audiobook, like. This is an in-touch guy with his emotions. It took him forever to get there. Like, Bruce Springsteen would, would be an amazing yeah. actor if that's what he 
Sure. It so they don't need that training in a sense. Like they've, they've done well, it. They, would, they have that background. In a they way. have it. Yeah. I think he would have, if he'd started, he would have taken it. He would have, yeah. he would have tried to open himself up to that, but yeah, he wouldn't have been afraid to take after take to what make it better. But these, there's something about being an artist and being a performer uh, that many of these singers are. So it, that it doesn't surprise me if they can translate it. Uh, yeah. to the screen even like uh, Barbara Streisand for example oh, totally. who's excellent who's able to sort of open up so emotionally singing and then you see her in a performance yeah, and, and, I, and I wouldn't be surprised you know I mean like again I bet Lady Gaga turns into if she gives it the time and effort I bet she's a really good actress I don't know yeah. anything about her music except I know she's yeah I think this is, is it, oh no she was on American Horror Story I was about to say that's <laughs> just like the first time she was time. either nominated or yeah. won the Golden Globe but she's yeah she'll be great if she if, if, if she's interested in that if that's something she wants to do yeah, well, I was surprised too recently. Uh, Tracy Letts, who's like a great playwright, and now he's—I just saw him in a preview for a new movie that's coming out with him in the lead role with Deborah Winger. Well, he's also you know he's uh, in Homeland. I'm a big Homeland oh yeah, that's guy. right. He was in Homeland. Homeland. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a again <laughs> the talented guy. But you know, but Tracy Letts, I'm sure took a bunch of acting classes, and I suspect was he might have been an actor before he was a writer. I don't, I don't know. I do a show with a, a movie review show called What the Flick on the TYT network, and I do one of the guys I hosted with Alonzo Duralde lead critic at the rap uh, he knows Tracy Letts so he's a you know yeah. he's known as a, <laughs> a, a multi-talented guy uh, well I was curious you know over the years Robert Osborne has sort of had to step away a little bit so have you felt more responsibility with the sure. network with the yeah. film festival to, to done, be out I, there more in a way I started in 2003 so this will this will be in the fall will be 14 years and wow. I've done more in the last four than I did in the first 10 much more uh so yeah, no, no question. Uh, uh, I, the, and I'm thrilled to have that responsibility, you know, and it, it feels like an awesome responsibility to be one of the signature faces of that, of, of that channel. Um, and they're just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's really a, a great thing to be part of. It feels, you know, as I said, like, like, so we mentioned Homeland, right? Great show. I love watching Homeland or another Showtime show. I love Ray Donovan. Oh, I love Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan. Yeah. Right. And uh, uh, Game of Thrones, we do these recaps of Game of Thrones. I, I could talk about Game of Thrones for three hours each episode. I could, we, we do these recaps that are long and they're involved yeah. and passionate. <laughs> and don't, you, know. Um, uh, you know, and then going back to when TV started getting great again, which really seems to me was just led by the Sopranos. I mean, there's, you know, like Hill Street Blues, these early trendsetters, but the Sopranos was the beginning of this new age, right? All these great shows. Nobody feels a connection to to HBO. Nobody feels a connection to Showtime. You know, The Americans is an unbelievable show on FX. Billions on Showtime. All these great shows. Nobody is, nobody thinks, man, I, I love FX. Nobody says that, right? Yeah. Even if you do love that, or, oh my God, Breaking Bad and, and, and Better Call Saul. I mean, you know, the performances on Better Call Saul from Rhea Seahorn and, and, and Jonathan Banks and, and Bob Odenkirk, these guys are unbelievable. Michael McKean, these are unbelievable actors, right? Nobody thinks I would do anything for AMC, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just, it isn't, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But they say it about TCM. They feel connected to us. I love TCM. TCM is part of my life. TCM matters to me. Um, it's hard to imagine, other than in news, it's even hard to imagine in news, but it's hard to imagine a job in TV that matters, where you might actually make life a little bit better. And I know that the only reason that I might be doing that is because I, I'm the guy who talks for for 
two and a half minutes uh, before we show Sweet Smell of Success. Like, it's not really me, it's, it's the movie. Yeah. But, but still, people want the movies curated. The thing we hear the most thing, the thing we think people complain about most with us is, I don't like the movies where you guys don't talk in front of them. Like, <laughs> like that's what I want. I want the two minute, two and a half minute story and the minute at the end. That's what I want. That make. So we found something, Robert really created that. And, and, and the connection that, that that creates, whether it's because of your parents, your grandparents, or where you, you know, watching it on TV in a time where you felt like it was safer and you were 14 and your parents were there and they it was a house and they, you were protected. I don't know what it is, but to be part of that is something great. And, and you don't get that in TV as great as TV is. Nobody, nobody feels like, and it's, Nobody feels it even about, I'm a huge sports fan. I gamble constantly. I don't love ESPN. I mean, I like it when the game, the game I want to watch is on ESPN. Yeah, it's like I it's there. Virginia. I have to be on right. ESPN. Right. Yeah. If I want to watch Virginia play North Carolina, it's on ESPN. I want to watch ESPN. But I'm not just going to watch ESPN to see what they have on. You know, see what ESPN is doing tonight. That's not the thing that uh, happens anymore. But people do it for us. I don't know that there's another yeah. channel that that happens on. And, uh, and there's no other movie channel really where there's that curation, as you said, where you a specific night is around a specific yeah, person or a theme or Charlie Tavish yeah. the programming department. They spend so much time thinking about it, carefully programming it. Now doing Filmstruck to the the uh, the art house channel that we have, not channel but the art house. Are you doing any intros it. for uh, Filmstruck at all? No, I would like to, um, to be honest, but right now, at least the first six months, maybe the first year of Filmstruck, they want to make sure that it is a separate entity. Yeah. Thing. And that may change, that may, that may stay. They may always want it to be a, a, a separate, uh, to live completely separately from TCM and not blur those lines, even though we're producing it. Yeah. Um, but it's a great thing, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased just to be part of the channel that is part of that. So, I don't know, man. That connection is just a—it's a thing, and, and it's—and it's more that they watch. They also watch us, and I don't mean watch us, but they watch us like a hawk watches you. Like they're ready at a moment's from the time I started in those message boards in 2003 to Twitter now. Like, hey, you're showing too many modern movies. Hey, that wasn't in the right aspect ratio. Um, like they, they know that we have taken and been given this responsibility of curating this incredibly important form of artistic expression that we've, this is our job to protect these movies and present these movies. And so they, A, watch it and B, they watch us to make sure we don't screw it up. And I think that's what the negative, I all, I'm no kidding around. That's what yeah. the reaction to me was in the beginning. Like. What are you doing? Are you gonna this? You know what this means. It's a new guy. He's got a goatee and he's not wearing a tie. You know what that means? Commercials and editing the movies and doing what AMC did, which was stopping showing. Yeah, movies. they originally had the TCM. So they were format. direct competitors. Yeah, at so, that time. So it's just where we finally, I think, are starting to move. Like, hey, I know you. You nothing's changing. Like really, really, like our, you know, we're we're always going to try and add movies, and that might yeah. mean adding some movies from the seventies that, that didn't occur to you, or some movies even from the eighties that, that 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 strike some people as. But we're never going to stop showing the movies from Hollywood's golden age. That's 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 never going to change, and we're never going to randomly just show you Die Hard either. I mean, first of all, Die Hard is too expensive for us to get, but. <laughs> but 
I mean, if we were going to show a festival of the development and growth of uh, action adventure movies, that might include King Solomon's Mines, and might include a gangster movie, it might include The Roaring Twenty, I mean, it might include, you know, uh, you know, White Heat, it might include, you know, something from the 30s, and something, well, then, yeah. then it might include Die Hard, right? But yeah. it would be in a, It would be in continuity with that. It would be in, with, con uh, would be in yeah. context to that, yeah. Um, so, and, and that's, and, and we feel like that's our job. That's what we're supposed to be. What are you excited about uh, with the festival this year? Any guests that you're looking forward to talking to? Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, opening night, you know, we're going to have uh, uh, In the Heat of the Night. Um, you know, this is a big year, uh, 19, 2017, because it's the 50th anniversary of 1967. Yeah, which was a seminal year for the so, Oscars. In the Heat of the Night, the graduate, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's coming to dinner. Yeah. And I think we have, In the Heat of the Night, the graduate. Bonnie and Clyde, and, uh, and we may, and get, well, guess who's coming to dinner? I know it's part of the Fathom event series. I think it's the last one of the year. I think we're showing that. So we're at least showing three, if not four, of those five Oscar-nominated yeah. uh, movies. And, um, you know, so, uh, but, you know, we're, Sidney Poitier is going to be there, you know, uh, Norman Jewison, who directed In the Heat of the Night. Um, you know, uh, these, it's all that matters. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich, who you've had on your show, uh, uh, is we're is uh, we're being we're honoring with a I don't know what we call it I can't remember it's <laughs> spotlight at the but we're on and, you oh know, in the club TCM uh, yeah we'll do a, a couple of special yeah. things but I, and I saw him before another podcast recently and I like Peter a lot but you know Bogdanovich is a rare Bogdanovich there's, there's, there's no one else in this country you know Howard Hawks and John Ford and Orson Welles are dead but. Peter Bogdanovich can channel all of them and can talk to you about them and not just about them, but he can almost talk to you in their voice. Like, and so to me, what I want to do and what I suggested is that why we aren't having a, I want to have Peter Bogdanovich presents Hawks, Ford and Wells. And we spend yeah. an hour where we just, I ask him questions about those guys, the audience asking <laughs> questions because he can do it. He yeah. knew them that well and then he obviously became this incredibly talented director and he he sees the brilliance of all three and i i don't know that just strikes me as like don't allow peter bogdanovich to escape without tapping this resource yeah. that he is and he is this resource for these three great men yeah he's a wealth of knowledge yeah. with those directors and even for actors i mean he can channel Cary grant and jimmy stewart totally. and all That's right. you know yeah so, Spot on impersonations too. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. and it's that ability to impersonate that it also comes across. Again, nobody, you know, nobody doing. He can't really do John Ford. He can do Orson Welles, but he can't do John Ford or Howard Hawks because nobody knows what they sounded like. It doesn't mean anything. But he knows what they, you know. I mean, even when he just says that Ford would say, I think it was Ford. Maybe I'm confusing it. Maybe it was Hawks, but I think it was Ford. You know, he wouldn't say cut. He'd just be like, "All right, that's enough of that," you know. <laughs> I think that seems fine. That seems fine. That's good enough. We'll move on. Um, but yeah, so he yeah. Uh, uh, he tells great stories. I'd love that. So I'm always looking forward to talking to him. But I don't fully know who I'm going to get. You know, I mean, odds are I'll get all those people, but, you know, their schedules. Do you ever like to meet people in advance if you know that you're going to sit down? Always, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally possible, always. Um, but, uh, you know, I know now, I know Norma Jewison, and I know, uh, I know Peter. Um, 
and uh, you know, and I knew Norman, and I know Elliot Gould, and you know, these are people I've interviewed at the festival. And though, I mean, this job has afforded and Eva Marie, these have afforded me this yeah. opportunity to really uh, get to know some of these people. And I'm, you know, that's that's also been almost without fail a thrill. I mean, very few have been. I mean, they're either great or fine. You know, no one's been. No one's been really difficult. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think they're not entirely true, but almost no one. Has been yeah, well, I think they're just so enthusiastic to have you know, like with Faye Dunaway, an audience that's yeah, there yeah, that yeah, wants totally. to see her, that knows her history and film. I'm mean, glad you brought up because really, Faye and Anne Margaret both. I literally saw it. I was like, there this year, seeing defenses go down because of the way the audience. And then you have yeah. someone like uh, Norman Lloyd, who you know loves to be in front of an audience naturally. He, yeah, he is wonderful there. <laughs> That special airs uh, uh, this next month. I think it airs in March. The Norman Lloyd special. Oh wow! Uh, oh no, it, did it already air? Uh, I can't remember. Huh. Um, but it's fantastic, yeah. and uh, it did air. It aired on Election Day. What am I talking about? Uh, so Faye's airs in March. That's right. Norman's aired on Election Day. I got the nicest note I've maybe ever gotten from even Marie Saint, who didn't like the way the election went. <laughs> she was uh, like, after a while, I had to. I turned off the news and I watched you with Norman Lloyd, and it was. The same uh, grace of the night, so it's yeah. Does yeah. <laughs> CNN work out of the same TCM bill? No, yeah, uh, TNT does. So, like, uh, if you're a basketball fan, that you know, oh, so you see Charles Barkley, Barkley, yeah. and Ernie Johnson <laughs> and Kenny Smith, uh, or in Shaq are there. They do out of that studio and some uh, TBS. So when baseball's in season, they do shows there. Uh, True TV is there, but CNN has its own building. CNN is more in downtown Atlanta, and the the, the the TCM studios are in Midtown Atlanta, not oh. far, mile and a half away. Sorry. Well, lastly, I was just curious. I don't know if you know. If, I mean, is Robert Osborne ever coming back? Should, should no, we ever because, see I'm, him because I'm not in his family and I'm not his doctor. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, I know Robert is very, very eager to get back on the air, um, and he's doing better. So you know, um, uh, and you know, hopefully that'll get you know resolved in it. But he's he's okay and. Uh, and you know, you, you know, like yeah. me, you don't want to walk away from this job ever. It's too good. A, it's too good a gig, uh, and the connection with the fans is is, is too great. So, uh, uh, you know, hopefully we'll figure out something with uh, uh, with Robert that uh, uh, that works. But obviously, that's all oh, whatever. I, I, you're unfortunately I'm not keeping anything. Yeah, I don't really know. And uh, lastly, I was just curious, you know, what moment in sort of your time at Turner Classic Movies has sort of been one of those where you feel like, wow, this is surreal. I'm really part of something special here. Um, well, it's, I mean, there have been 25 of those, but there are little moments like, you know, like being incredibly nervous to meet Jerry Lewis and, and then Jerry sees you and he's like, oh, my God, Ben, my voice, I'm so thrilled to meet you. Like, no, I'm thrilled to meet you. <laughs> You're Jerry Lewis. I'm a guy on TV. Like, you know, uh, uh, the uh, Steven Spielberg before the uh, uh, before John Williams got the AFI Life Achievement Award. So I'm on the red carpet, ready, and I'm late. So, and it turns out accidentally my red carpet timing is the same as Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and uh, <laughs> and J.J. Uh, Abrams, right? Yeah. So these guys. So, and, and so obviously I have to stop and let them <laughs> go. And and, uh, and so I'm, we're waiting and I get held. Uh, you 
hold on a sec, we're gonna. <laughs> and, and Spielberg's there and he looks like, looks over and he's with Kate Catcher and he looks over and he's like, hey, I love your movies. <laughs> right? So I'm like, what? Uh, uh, what I, how do I, what am I supposed to say? You love my movies. I'm like, I talk before other people's movies. I love your movies. You're still <laughs> So that was good. Uh, one time I went to a Robert shoot out here in LA because I'm friends with Angie Dickinson and Angie was shooting and so was Cher. Oh wow! This program, and I was like, I, you know, who, who doesn't want to meet Cher? So you know, and I'm trying to be out of the way. I mean, it's Robert shoot, but I want to say hi to Angie, and it's here in L.A. So I, and uh, and Cher's in makeup, and I'm, I say hi to Angie, and Cher's going to be in makeup another ten minutes. I'm like, well, I'll wait till Cher comes out, and I'll be like, hey, I'm Ben Mankiewicz to TCM. I'm one of the hosts, and I just, you know, really nice to meet you. You know, you're Cher. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I'm waiting, and she comes out, and I'm across the room, like 25 feet away, and I start walking toward her, and she goes, Oh, my God, Ben Mankiewicz, what is happening today? What is happening? Yes, that, that is surreal, right? <laughs> and, and then, you know, and then I, I feel like that's not justified. I mean, I get why they're saying it. I know why they're saying it. I, they love the channel, and I'm on the channel, right? It's not complicated. But I'm thinking, what did I do, right? I just talk about other people's art. They you know, they, she's a creator, right? And these directors and these actors who movies we salute their creators. And, and then I think, I just shut up and take it. It's nice. <laughs> you know, it's nice. And, and, I, and again, I, I worked hard to, to get here and I worked hard to get better at it. I take it seriously. And I'm, you know, yeah, I'm blessed. There's a lot of luck involved. But, but I've, you know, I've hopefully turned that luck into something. So, um, yeah. but it's still every time those moments happen, it's, it does feel surreal.